Welcome again. This is Larry Bertrand with another lesson in the Explore the Bible series. We're in the book of Amos, the final session, session number four, scheduled for September 25, 2022. God offers hope to those who return to Him in repentance. Key verse is Amos 5, verse 15, which says, Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. So as we look at Amos chapter 9, verses 5 through 15, we're going to focus on the hope that's presented by Amos. We will identify the characteristics of God and the words of hope within these verses. And we're going to get a better understanding of the fallen shelter of David that's mentioned. We'll make a connection between the message of Amos and the hope that's found in Christ. So let me read four quotes. You've probably heard uh, all of these. And I want you to think, which ones of these are quotes from the Bible? And which of these are just famous quotes? So the first one is, hope springs eternal. Is that from the Bible? Or from our society? Well, if your answer was it was not from the Bible, the, you would be right. It's from Alexander Pope, an essay on man. What about this one? Where there is, where then, where then is my hope? Question mark. That's from the Bible or someone famous? This one's actually from the Bible, Job chapter 17, verse 15. And the next question, next statement, nothing can be done without hope. Well, if you guessed someone famous, you were right. Helen Keller said that statement. And the final quote, I'll just tell you it's from the Bible. This hope will not disappoint. Romans 5, verse 5. So whether it, the statements of hope come from the Bible or not, we need to uh, always be looking for encouragement and hope in our world. So in our previous sessions, Amos shared the hope that God would save a remnant from Israel, but he was clear that any hope for that had to be accompanied by the repentance of the Israelites. Looking at the context or the background passages, Amos 7 all the way to 9, 15, um, so as we conclude, this is our last lesson in the book of Amos, we, we can come to several observations 
So let me give you those observations. Number one, God sometimes uses unlikely people to do his work. Amos would be one of those. He was a businessman involved in raising livestock and growing figs. Uh, apparently had no formal theological training or support uh, back home. Nevertheless, Amos was willing to obey God and deliver a difficult message to a difficult audience. The second thing we see as we end this lesson, every nation is under the authority of God and will answer to him for their actions. That's true today. This accountability to God includes the people of God. The third thing we see here is greater blessing brings greater responsibility. Israel had repeatedly experienced God's covenant kindness through his salvation and his protection, his providing for them and his revelation speaking to them. No other nation had experienced God's kindness as Israel had, and no other nation was chosen by God's uh, light, to be God's light to the nations as Israel was. As his children, God held Israel to a higher standard than he did the other nations. The fourth thing we see here is God expects his people's worship to be an expression of sincere devotion to him and his word. Israel's worship gatherings were more about them than about God. The people lacked integrity and fidelity as they proclaim their devotion to Yahweh. Therefore, God rejected their selfish, pretentious, religious activities. Well, the fifth thing we see in, as we close this book is the day of the Lord, a statement we see several times in Amos, will be a day of darkness and calamity for anyone who is ungodly. No matter who they are or what they claim to be. The sixth thing we see is that it's impossible to offer acceptable worship to God and at the same time to take advantage of others or to neglect those in need. God is opposed to those who do such things. Number seven. When people are unfaithful to God and lack concern for others, God's judgment is imminent. And there will be severe consequences for such behavior. Number eight, God's message of judgment through his messengers is a demonstration of his mercy and grace throughout their history, the people of Israel had received plenty of warnings concerning their behavior, but God mercifully and graciously gave them one more opportunity to repent 
and to return to him. And finally, number last, number nine, God would someday restore and bless his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Amos presented a hymn about God who reigns supremely over his creation. God is portrayed as having authority over both heaven and earth and therefore cannot be escaped. So as we look at the first section of scripture, Amos 5, I mean, excuse me, Amos 9 verses 5 and 6, we'll see how God is portrayed in these verses. Verse 5, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. And he calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. So look with me in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So let me emphasize that God is not of this earth. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I want you to consider how this Isaiah passage compares to what or how Amos portrayed God in these verses I just read. So looking at verse 5 and 6 in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, the one Amos saw by the altar was the Lord Almighty, the great warrior whose power was irresistible. As the sovereign, he was not only of Israel, sovereign, but he was sovereign over the other nations, but also of the vast universe. He could speak with certainty that there would be no escape for Israel anywhere in the universe. He whose finger merely touches the earth and causes the mountains to quake and melt. In other words, to be flattened. We see in Micah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place, and he comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him. And, are, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. We see also in Nahum, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles 
at his presence, the, the world and all who live in it. So the whole land uh, to surge like the Nile and the inhabitants to mourn would surely possess a powerful hand to, to seize the rebels from all over the earth. To he who built his lofty palace in the heavens, referring to God, could not fail to reach any who sought refuge in the heavens. He who counts the waters of the sea, oh no, he who controls the waters of the sea would surely be obeyed by his inhabitants. The Lord is his name. His majesty and his power over creation means they would not only be able not not be able to escape him, and as the Lord Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, he would keep his word, and he would judge those who had disobeyed him. Interestingly, the two verses in Amos that include the exclamation, the Lord is his name, speak of his sovereignty over the entire universe. So what characteristics of God cause the great, the greatest amount of awe and wonder in your life? I think about his power. I think about his knowledge. I think about his creative ability. There's so many things that bring about awe and wonder in our lives. Amos announced the coming judgment on Israel, comparing them, uh, comparing them to overthrown kings and kingdoms. The prophet warned of a sh- of a sh- shaking that would take place, of which the people of Israel would not be excused. So we see about that shaking in Amos chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Listen for the excuses given for exemptions from God's judgment. Verse 7. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Camptor, and the Armenians from Kir? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will de- destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants Jacob declares the Lord, for I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and and not a people, not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people 
will die by the sword. All who say disaster will not overtake or meet me. So to whom might people compare themselves to today to excuse themselves from guilt? Well, we look at thieves and criminals and robbers and people who treat others unjustly and can easily say, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as the people I see on television in the news broadcasts. Well, maybe not, but God doesn't compare us in those ways. So in verse 7, he refers to Ethiopia, south of Egypt. It was a remote and exotic land to the Israelites. Crete was where the Philistines lived as they migrated to Philistine. God would judge Israel no differently than he judges foreign nations. He is not the God of Israel only. He is God of the universe, and he controls all nations. We see in verse 8 that Amos assured the Israelites that God would never completely destroy Israel. In other words, the punishment would not be permanent or total. God warns, God wants them, wants to redeem, not to punish sheep. And when punishment is necessary, he doesn't withhold it. Like a loving father, God disciplines those he loves in order to correct them. And so if God disciplines you, accept it as a sign of his love. So we look at verse 8 and 9, and we see that although Assyria would destroy Israel and take the people in exile, some would be preserved. This exile had been predicted hundreds of years earlier. We, we can read about it in Deuteronomy 28. Although the nation would be purified through this invasion and captivity, not one true believer would be eternally lost. Our system of justice is not perfect, but God's is. Sinners will not get away, and the faithful will not be forgotten. True believers will not be lost. So how does comparing ourselves to others lead to a false sense of security? Well, that's an important question for us to consider. Moving towards the next section of Scripture, the message delivered by Amos appears to be pessimistic and full of gloom, but thankfully it doesn't end on the, that note. Even though the northern kingdom and southern kingdom would fall and a new day was coming, a remnant would remain and the lineage of David would continue to provide them the Messiah provide 
the Messiah realized in the coming of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this final section, Amos 9, 11 through 15, we see words of hope in this passage. Verse 11, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one who who's trading the grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I want, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I had given them, says the Lord your God. So think about the preposition RE. Um, it's located several times. It provides hope to renew, to restore, to revive. Those are all words of hope, words of new opportunity, words that say provision is being made. I was looking in the Life Application Bible concerning this section, and it says that in the punishment the house of David was reduced to a fallen house. God's covenant with David stated that one of David's descendants would always sit on his throne. The exile made this promise seem impossible. But in that day, God would raise up and restore the kingdom to its promised glory. This was a promise to both Israel and Judah, not to be fulfilled by earthly political rulers, but instead by the Messiah, who would renew the spiritual kingdom and rule forever. James quoted these verses in Acts chapter 15, finding the promise fulfilled in Christ's resurrection and in the presence of both Jews and Gentiles in the church. So uh, it reads, possess what is left of Edom. That phrase 
envisions the messianic kingdom, which will be universal and include Gentiles. When God brings in the Gentiles, he is restoring the ruins. After the Gentiles are called together, God will renew and restore the fortunes of the new Israel. All the land that was once under David's rule will again be part of God's nation. Verse 13, we see that this verse describes a time of such abundance of crops that the people won't be able to harvest them all. And then looking at verses 13 through 17, the Jews of Amos's day had lost sight of God's care and love for them. The rich were carefree and comfortable, refusing to help others in need. They observed their religious ritual in hopes of appeasing God, but they did not truly love him. Amos announced God's warning of destruction for their evil ways. We must not assume that going to church and being good are enough. God expects our belief in him to affect the areas of our conduct and to extend to all people in all circumstances. We should let Amos' words inspire us to live faithfully according to God's desires. Let me read this statement. God would replant his people in their own land with fruitfulness that could never be taken away. They would never again be thwarted or separated from their place in God's story of redemption, of redemptive history, as Messiah would usher in a period of spiritual peace and prosperity that would never be equaled. So Amos's prophecy ends in a promise of hope for the future. We can be thankful that our hope now rests in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at some applications for this week. Believers, everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ should worship God knowing that he has no equal and controls all his creation. He controls all of us. The second application is all people face the judgment of God apart from repentance. And finally, believers can live with hope knowing God's blessings wait in eternity. 
So ask God to give you specific people identified that are in need of a Savior. Pray that you can share Christ with those people. Share the hope and forgiveness that's found in Jesus with a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a total stranger. Share Jesus with those people. I'll close with um, a beautiful song. Christ, our hope in life and death. It's written by Keith Getty and Christy Getty and Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. I'll read verse one. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? What holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. And of course, read, sing hallelujah, oh, our hope springs eternal. Sing hallelujah now and forever. Now and ever we confer Christ our hope in life and death. Open is reserved for believers. Well, we thank you, Lord, that you are our hope and in you we trust. And we commit ourselves to worship you even in this day. We give you our expressions of love and gratitude. We desire to change whatever needs to be changed so that we can worship you in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen.